You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the 25th chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Annie. I'm Sydney. And I'm Nia. March is Women's History Month, with March 8th being International Women's Day, so we thought we would pay tribute to women throughout history by discussing books written by and about women. Women have contributed to many parts of scientific, social, and artistic history through advancements and contributions in their fields. Sometimes the contributions of these women were recognized during their lifetimes, and others were recognized after their deaths. But whenever they are honored, it was because of something that they did. As women podcasters, we hope to shed light on some well-known women and some lesser-known stories to bring them into the light. So, Sydney, what is in your stack? I picked two books that I think really hit on the well-known women and lesser known stories. So the first one, thank you. The first one I think is well known because of the movie, but my first book is Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly. It came out in 2016. The movie came out in 2017. That came out super fast. So there had to have been work simultaneously done before the book was published. Yeah. For the script to have been written and to have the actual, like everything running and and greenlit. Was she involved in the movie? Do you know? I have no idea. That's Uh, okay. You don't need to know. I would love to think that she did, but also so I think yeah. that she probably wasn't because of some of the bastardization of facts that happened. Mm. There, some of the things that happened for the movie, they truncated a lot of stories and they they bastardized some of the facts to make it more seamless as a story and it makes me appreciate the book a lot more. Okay. (laughs) So I love the movie. It's one of my favorites. And I picked the book because I love the movie. And I didn't think a lot of facts would change. I figured it would just be more details and a longer span of storytelling i was wrong it was not (laughs) it was not i mean yes and no so it it still follows the lives and careers of dorothy vaughn mary jackson and Catherine goble johnson as they work at naca which was the agency that was there for flight and looking at those trajectories well before it was looking at space so they worked there for decades well before it turned into nasa um and it was in hampton virginia National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics. It was established in 1915, became the United States' premier aeronautical research institution, and it was governed by an advisory committee appointed by the President of the United States, according to NASA.gov. Okay. So the movie really focuses on Katherine Johnson and has Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson as, like, side stories. The book very much has them all equal. It follows them through their life and career at NACA, which then turns to NASA, computing and helping the U.S. space program take flight. Pun intended. (laughs) Very nice. Thank you. So a lot of things, as I was reading, every time something happened, I was like, wait, it's not how they did it wrong in the movie. Like, crap. Uh, They just kept twisting facts and pushing people together. Like Dorothy, Mary, and Catherine, the movie starts out with the three of them carpooling and the cars broken down on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. They didn't carpool. Dorothy Vaughn was significantly older than Mary Jackson and Catherine Goebel Mm -hmm. by a couple of decades. She was her parent. She was Catherine Goebel's parents' age. Oh, wow. So they're multi-generational. And so she was, I mean, at least the way that it portrays it in the book, it just, like, the way that it's telling the story. Dorothy Vaughn was there long before 
Mary Jackson or Catherine Goebel. Mary Jackson came in in between them and Catherine Goebel came in last. Although Catherine Goebel, I don't remember what her maiden name is. Goebel is her first married name and then it became Catherine mm-hmm. Johnson after she remarried. Catherine finished school really early. She graduated from college really early. She got her bachelor's at like 17. Oh, wow. Because she just kept skipping grades because she was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But some of the stories were just really cool that they attributed to Catherine and Catherine didn't do it. Like the the whole big scene with the bathroom. I have to run. I don't half remember a mile that scene. To, oh to, yeah, I remember now. Know, I have to run half a mile just to relieve myself and all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. so a while before she was really prominent there, a woman had already kind of forcibly desegregated the lunchrooms because yeah, every, a, a woman has to. Uh huh. Well, all of yeah. the all of the all of all of the blacks were also female mm-hmm. because of wartime and computing was women's work up until the sixties and. And then in the 60s, men started becoming computers too, which... And then took it over. Yeah. So the NASA had basically been kind of desegregated before the rest of Virginia, just because the sheer number of Black individuals who were working there, and they were like, no... I'm not running three buildings over to pee. This bathroom just says ladies room. It doesn't say white ladies room. I'm peeing here. And they kind of just forced the issue when they were like, no, I'm not going somewhere else. This doesn't say whites only. I'm peeing here. The whole issue with the bathroom scene was actually Mary with her boss like a decade or so prior to NACA becoming NASA. So it wasn't even Katherine Johnson that was like bathrooms, right? Like they just, they they changed a lot of facts around like those facts, those things still happened, but they attributed them to the wrong people for the sake of the story which i mean i'm all for certain creative liberties but i feel like when you do something like that especially with a film that's supposed to be a true story you know it's it's called hidden figures they were behind the scenes yeah and almost forgotten in a way and now we're going to take their voice away again again pretending to give it back to them Uh uh-huh uh-huh we're going to take away some other voices to give it to these ones that's just I haven't seen the movie, so I'm just going to throw that out there. I have not seen the movie. Honestly, you're not making me want to see it. The film is one of my favorites. The film is phenomenal. You just have to know when you watch it that half of it's mis- that is some of some of the things are misrepresented. Okay, it still happened, just not in the way they portrayed it in the time that they portrayed it. By the time the okay. 60s hit and they were in the space race, bathrooms had already been desegregated. The lunchroom had already been desegregated. All of it, NASA had desegregated much faster than anywhere else in Jim Crow's Virginia by the 60s. The film is still phenomenal. It's one of the <laughs> few that I still like. I still love that movie. I will still go out and watch that movie repeatedly. But there is so, so, so much more to this rich history that takes place in Hampton, Virginia and the story of NASA and the women that made it possible that this book needs to be read. So if you have not read Hidden Figures, put it at the top of your TBR list. It needs to be read. Do it and do it now. Have you read the Young Readers edition? I have not. No, I wonder how that differs from the original. I don't know. But if I if I read it, I'll tell you. Isn't there a picture book for Hidden Figures too? I think so. I would be shocked if there wasn't. I feel like this book is accessible to readers of all levels. Yes. This book has been made into multiple formats. Yeah. Which I think was very smart on the part of Rebecca Skloot. Her introduction was actually really, really fun to read. I don't always like reading introductions. I occasionally skip them if they don't catch me within the first paragraph or two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because an intro doesn't actually become part of the story if it's not done right. Right. And hers 
weaves in the story of how she grew up in Hampton, Virginia. And as a black woman, she saw other people that looked like her doing things with science and math and the law and medicine. And she felt like she could do anything because she saw other people that way doing it. And she attributed it to the work of these women that her family had, had known and met through living in the same area that were, you know, those who paved the way for everyone else. So that's really cool that this was part of her part of her story also exactly so her introduction really is not cool. one i would skip she actually did a really good job with it yeah nice i'll have to relook at that one it sounds like it's an excellent example of representation absolutely matters too uh-huh. so because 100%. seeing those things yeah exactly nice the second book has also been turned into a film but people still don't know anything about it even though the film had oprah in it really <laughs> it did yeah, i didn't okay. even know what was made into a film so there's that. When did the movie come out? I don't remember. A while ago. Before COVID. Really? Yeah. Oh, see, so I was thinking if it was during COVID, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or anything after COVID, I don't know what's going on anymore. Yeah, you had babies. Not only that, I don't have cable anymore, so I don't see the previews. I have yeah. no idea what movies are coming out. I feel that. But yeah. the book that we're very vaguely referencing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we should start there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Let's, let's back up. The book that I'm referencing is called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. It's by Rebecca Skloot. Oh, sorry. That's the one by Rebecca Skloot. I attributed her to Hidden Figures earlier. I apologize. That was Margot Lee Shutterly for Hidden Figures. But um, Rebecca Skloot wrote The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks in 2010. The story starts out in 1951 with Henrietta feeling a knot inside of her. It turns out to be cervical cancer. The treatment that doctors try for this aggressive late stage cancer is a rod of radium that they put up her vagina and sewed it closed so it wouldn't fall out. (gasps) Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, 1951. Okay, sorry. Oh, okay. So believe it or not, this was actually the best treatment that they had at the time. I mean, I believe that, but ooh. And radiation treatment has come a long way. Radiation treatment is still very dangerous. Like there is still a lot that can go on with radiation treatment. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's not a a rod. Thankfully. Sewn inside of you. Yeah. You don't have a rod inserted inside of you and sewn shut. Terrifying. Anyway, so to no one's surprise, she dies. Saw that coming. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, okay. she left a very young family. So she left a husband and multiple children mm-hmm. that had to live that had to go on without her. But the cells that were collected while she was at the hospital at Johns Hopkins, which was one of the very few hospitals within 100 miles that would even admit a black patient because they were a research hospital. Mm-hmm. Her the cells that they collected while she was in the hospital didn't die after a few days, like every other cell that had ever been collected and studied before hers. Okay. So these cells that were outside her body that should die because they're outside her body began to replicate. Not only did they live, they started replicating. So were these her cells or were they the cancer cells? They were her cells, but I don't, I don't think they came from the cancer. I think they were just her cells. Okay. But they, they could have been from an area near the cancer. I don't really know. Okay. I just know that they're her cells. Gotcha. That's the important part. Yes. So these cells continue to replicate to the point where they are still used today. Wow. They are in every research facility in the world. They're referred to as HeLa cells because it takes the first two letters of her first name and the first two letters of her last name, Henrietta I see what they did there. I see. And that was, it wasn't something that they were trying to be clever with when they were doing research because it's a research No, it totally makes sense. That's how they coded all of the cells that they did scrapings of when they would put them in for, uh, for being able to go back and look at it later. It was the mm-hmm. first two, last two for every patient. Yeah. Yeah. 
Definitely makes sense. Mm -hmm. So these HeLa cells are so numerous that if you put them end to end, they would wrap around the earth at least three times and they would span over 350 million feet. Oh, wow. Like cell by cell. And the company, Johns Hopkins, that then sold, you know, and people kept selling, like people are selling and buying these HeLa cells to use in research. Mm -hmm. Her family finds out years later they had no idea that cells had even been taken yeah they had no idea that they had even like permission had not been given let's just say so the family years and years later finds out that not only had cells been taken from their mother but that companies were now profiting off of her cells and so they sued to get the rights over these cells and get the profits that they should have been earning from these companies that were making money off of their mother's cells wait so they're okay with the cells being sold no they they wanted they wanted control over it okay because they they weren't they had no idea that it had been happening okay okay and so they were like Obviously, this isn't okay, but also you've been profiting off of our mother. These right. people are all very, very, very poor. Trailer parks, yeah. not a pot to piss in. Poor, poor, poor. And they've and lost so their like, mother. They'd lost their mother. I mean, a lot of these kids are, are adults by the time they find out that her cells are being used. Okay. Sure. But imagine what growing up would have been like otherwise, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. It would have been much it would better. Have, it would have changed their lives. Oh yeah, more stable quality of life. I mean, I don't want to uh-huh. necessarily say better because you know their mom is gone, but more but, stable. Yeah. Well, to me, it sounds like they're suing for they they're suing because they want control. They want some of the income. They want these. Yeah. Well, if you've been profiting inappropriately from right. someone who right like they're I, selling like, it. Right. Yeah, but they're not trying to sue because they're selling her cells. They don't want all the cells themselves. They right. want control of them for the income. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's because a huge ethics things too. Oh yeah. There's, oh, there's, oh, it's a huge thing. Yeah. There's a huge thing, and I don't want to get in. I don't want to try no. to guess no, as no. to all of their motives. But there was a no. lawsuit suing over the rights of their cells, trying to get them to stop using cells inappropriately, and to like you know they have to ask permission. They have to you know if they're going to right. do it, they are they were her beneficiaries mm-hmm. so they should be the ones to receive the profit from yeah from her the court ruled against them they decreed <laughs> they decreed lame. i mean to be fair henrietta Lacks, just like hidden figures i read two black stories henrietta Lacks was african-american mm-hmm. so you have these families who are trying to make a difference and the court system is like yeah but you're black and this is when the was- 50s 60s 70s i don't know i don't remember when the lawsuit was mm. but it was it was a long time after her death because they had no idea yeah. for a very long time that any part of her had been taken so i can't imagine all the grief that that would bring back up you oh, know yeah. so the court mm. rules against the family declaring that once the cells are outside the body they're no longer part of the original body and therefore the family cannot have rights to them no oh, that icky. is my response to that no <laughs> so i uh, i had a lot of ethical issues with the way that that things in her story were handled and i don't want to get into anything deeper because i don't want to ruin the rest of the story but just the the whole story of henrietta Lacks is tragic but really important to read the whole story of hidden figures is not tragic but it is also really important to read Um, but the school that i used to work for i say used to because i just don't work right now keeps putting the immortal life of henrietta Lacks on and off of the ap reading list oh yeah yeah it just it keeps going on and then they'll say oh we don't want to read that one anymore and they take it off and it just it's such an important work 
yeah but there are so many issues with it so the school that, that they I came keep pulling from, it up and down yeah when i was still in the classroom the school that i came from they taught immortal life of henrietta Lacks as a concurrent enrollment course mm, mm-hmm. so if you took 10 10 20 10 that was one of the books you read yeah the school i was at they put it in the ap class so yeah. it was more of a college course and i think that's how they not Justified. got around things but it is texas well yeah <laughs> created fewer waves yeah, yeah they created fewer waves by saying that it was a college level course yeah. mm-hmm. well, annie let's let's run with what you've got what are what are your books i did the same thing that you did both of my books are african-american black memoirs but mine are still alive. Hey, check you out. So I did go in a little bit of a different direction. I chose Becoming by Michelle Obama as my first book. That She's came out definitely in still alive. <laughs> She's still alive and still doing stuff. She's phenomenal. She's amazing. So I listened to this on audiobook read by her. Oh, and it I was bet that was so phenomenal. Good. It was so good. And one thing I have to remember, and I'll get into this with my second book, is that Michelle Obama has taken public speaking classes. Yeah. She has been in the public eye since she decided to be when she was growing up. So she also went very... to law school at what, Yale? She did. So she's very good at speaking and she's very, she emotes very well in her speaking. So it was really, really good to listen to. Uh, the, again, this was published in 2018. So after they had left the White House, yeah, uh, they left in 2017, but it was written while they were in the White House, just published afterward. It won the audio, sorry, Audi Award for Autobiography Memoir in 2020. And then it also won the NAACP Image Award for Biography Autobiography in 2019. That's it awesome. won some other popular things, but those were the one. Those were the awards that I thought really spoke to this book and its importance. Yeah, and I I remember when this one came out, we could not like the whole yeah. list on this was massive. Oh yeah. yeah. Every every format available had a ginormous list for yeah. it. Yeah. I read this in 2020, so it was pretty easy for me to get, but it's still there was a there was a waste a wait for me to get it. Which is saying uh, something. There has since been a journal that came out where you can read yeah. the book and write in prompts that go with it at the same time. I did not do that. <laughs> That's interesting. I also have not read the Young Readers edition because I don't really understand why one came out other than maybe it's a little bit shorter. And the stories are faster, mm. but I don't see any reason why a teen can't read the original edition. Yeah. So a little backstory on Michelle Obama. Uh, she was the first lady of the United States from 2009 to 2017, and she was the third first lady with a postgraduate degree. The other two have also been recent. So I'm not sure if wow. that's more of a time thing that women are just getting more education as time goes on yeah, or why. But anyway, she was the third one. The book follows her whole life from childhood through the presidency and what she hopes for after they're finished in the White House. She did a lot before her husband was president, while he was president, since they've been out of the White House. She has done a lot for kids, for women, for the African-American community. She has been a huge pillar of our society for the last little bit. Um, I don't think that, you know, there's the saying that a man is only as good as the woman who stands behind him or something something yeah. like that. I think that the Obamas fit very, very well into that. I don't remember Hillary Clinton doing much when they were in the White she House. She was involved in a scandal. I remember that. To be fair, I was like five. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't really remember her doing much because I was little. And then the other president that I remember is Trump. And I don't 
think Melania really well, she, did uh, a lot. She was she there. decorated she was all there. of the Christmas trees as red. See, that's what comes to my mind. <laughs> well, that doesn't even come to my yeah, mind. Yeah, that's what comes to my mind. It's like, and oh, the, she's the, the red Christmas tree lady. And then oh, the jacket okay. right before she was going to see the immigrants that said, I just don't care or whatever yeah. it said. Okay. Well, yeah. anyway, as a woman with daughters, I would like my daughters to look up to and emulate Michelle Obama as first lady, as a member of society. She's done some pretty they, amazing things. Well, and I, It feels like, yeah, she was, you know, the president's wife, but it was also, she was her own person. She still is her she own was. person. Yeah. And, the and book it was really okay. Well, that's my role, that. but mm-hmm. I mean that mm-hmm. that says something. Yeah, yeah. The book really highlighted what she has done, not mm-hmm. what they have done. Yeah, cool. And I think that if she hadn't married Barack Obama and he hadn't gone through the political ladder like he did, I think we would still be talking about her because she would have done these things on her own. That's cool. I think that is awesome. Yeah. So if you haven't read Becoming, I highly, highly suggest it. She just talks in such positive ways about what she's lived through and growing up. And she's just such a positive person, even though she went through some things. I mean, she went through the same history that every other Black American did, you know, in the mm-hmm. 70s, 80s. I can't remember Currently. when she was born. Yeah. But just... The positivity that she evokes is just awesome. So again, I highly, highly recommend this for everyone. And I'm going to make my daughters read it at some point. And I say make because I will play it in the car, whether they want to or not. They have ears, (laughs) so they will listen. So the second book I chose is Proud, My Fight for an Unlikely American Dream. And it's by Iptihaj Muhammad. And she is an Olympic athlete. And this is her memoir. So it was published in 2018. And I listened to the prologue for this. I'm also listening to it on audiobook. And and Iptija explains that because this is a memoir, the speed will be different from reality. And some things have been changed because it's from her memories. So if you are a sports person that follows everything that's going on, I can imagine reading this book and thinking, well, that's different than how it actually happened. But you have to remember this is a memoir and it's at a different speed for entertainment purposes. So Iptija was the first female Muslim American to medal at the Olympic Games. Oh, wow. And That's she was named, oh yeah, she was named one of the New York Times 100 most influential people. So, so when neat. we're talking about lesser known women that are making history, here's your yeah, woman. Yeah, She is right sure. there in front of you, ready to mold the upcoming girls athletic girls. Uh, So she grew up in New Jersey and she was the only African-American Muslim at her school. And the book begins with a scene where she has a substitute teacher and the substitute teacher is going down the roster. Oh. And yeah, her name is Miss Winters, which that might be changed for the book. I don't know. And she gets to the last name Muhammad and she looks out in the crowd of fourth graders and zeroes in on the kid with a hijab and says, is your last name Muhammad? And Iptijah just looks at her and says, yes. She said, well, how do you pronounce your first name? And she, you know, pronounces it for her. And she's, and the substitute teacher says, that's too hard. We're going to call you Ipti instead. Oh. And then Iptija <sighs> goes out to the recess and it says, she said, I did some quick mental math. And Jennifer has J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, eight letters in her name. Amanda mm-hmm. has you know, X number and her name, and none of them are too long. None of them have to be shortened. How come Iptija does and 
Michelle doesn't. And it's this yeah. whole thing about how throughout her life she has to deal with that. I and get she does that. A, she does a really good job of under, not understanding what's going on, but making her way and not in a not in a way of conflict of just I should be treated like everyone else. Yeah, I'm an African-American Muslim because I like the religion, not because I'm trying to make waves, but because I stand by my religion. I'm not my dad here to is upset a cop. you. Yeah, my dad is a cop. He's not here to arrest unlaw, you know, people who are ticking him off. He is here to uphold the law. Yeah. He's so she's right. And it, it's very, very well done. She is uh again, she's an Olympic athlete. She does fencing, which is generally a wealthy person sport. Yeah. And she yeah. does come from a little bit of money, but not polo playing Harvard rowing team money. Uh. She comes from my family wasn't happy in New Jersey in the 80s as black Americans. And so they fought and raised money for themselves and worked hard to put us in a better area. And then she started winning state championships. She became became a three-time All-American at Duke University, but guess what wasn't ready for her? The, rest the Olympics? Of the world. Everyone else. Uh, she was the only woman of color and the only religious minority on Team USA's saber fencing squad. So not only was she the only woman of color, she was also Muslim, which is a very prominent religion to see if the hijab is worn and she proudly wears hers. I'm listening to this on audio and it is read by the author and she did not take public speaking classes like Michelle Obama did. I so mean, I'm you going can't to compare other people to Michelle I Obama. Know. I know, like, I know. Let's just yeah. be clear. Michelle Obama right? is in a class of her own. And you can't compare anyone else to Ipchiha. You just can't. So I'm going to be finishing this one in print because the speed at which she reads is a little bit distracting for me. Not for everyone, but she reads kind of fast. So I'm oh. going to finish it in print. And again, I'm going to make my children listen to this one because as females who are athletic and want to go far in the running world they need as many mentors as they can get and my children come from a religious background and if they can see people in out in the world representing their religion and their beliefs as proudly on the u.s saber team as this woman is that would make me very happy so i think that as we continue talking about the best in sports i think ipchaha will go down in history like simone biles like michael phelps like these athletes that we talk about again and again and again nice and she's young too she still has quite a bit of future ahead of her Very which cool. i mean to point that out too with i mean she's probably our generation ish and for her mm -hmm. to still have those firsts now yeah. is both really impressive and a little depressing that we still have not it is had that as a first before i don't want to take away her success i think it's amazing but it also is a very strong indicator of we have a long way to go <laughs> We do have a long way to go. So this she was born in 1985. Yeah, so, so she's already. is 37. Yeah, yeah. she is wow. our generation. Yeah, she yep. was in the... Uh, she was in the 2016 Summer Olympics and she was best known for being the first woman to wear a hijab while competing in anything, not just in fencing, in anything wow. for the United States in the Olympics. And she okay. became the first female Muslim American athlete to earn a medal at the Olympics. So again, any medal, first female Muslim American at all to medal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. And again, she's 37. So whether she might not be competing as much anymore, but she's still she's going still to present be, and active. Yeah, and, she's still present yeah. and active, and she's still a great role model for girls, for Muslims.
Muslim Americans, for the fencing community. Yeah, she's done some awesome things. I would definitely, definitely read this one if you haven't. Even if you don't care about sports, read Proud, learn how far we still need to go. But maybe not with the audiobook. But maybe not with the audiobook. Read it. Again, she is not a public figure, so she doesn't need to be amazing at public speaking. She doesn't. She's telling her story, and even though it's not my cup of tea to listen to, I can still feel her emotion and feel that they are her stories and that she is proud of them. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Nia, share with us your women's history books. So I'm kind of amused that... I picked a kid's book because usually that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I have started to a little bit, but um, so my, my first one is I am Amelia Earhart by Brad Meltzer. It came out in 2014. And what else has he written? I know that name. He is oh, I'm trying to think he's the, the mind behind Xavier Riddle in the secret museum on PBS. That's actually based off of these books, that but I know he's okay. written others. Okay, um, I'll accept that. Okay, but yeah, so this is in his book of Ordinary People Change the World series. And I just want to talk about the series for a minute. It's depending on where you look on the information, it's either for a three to six year old or five to eight. My three-year-old sort of, like she she's into it, but you can tell she's not completely tracking all of it. There's a few more words probably, but the pictures are fantastic. Nice. And I have a special place in my heart for any kid biographies in general because it was the first collection that I managed when I started working reference was the kid biographies. So watching kids grab these and pick them up and be like, yes, I want to read these. I want to read all of these. I don't care who it's on. This is one of those series where I know kids can pick them up. And learn about people like Amelia Earhart or Dolly Parton or any of these amazing figures that we have. But it's really relatable to the kids because they're drawn like children. So even though you're talking about their entire lifetime of success, they're still drawn like you're drawn as children. So they're relatable to kids. Are um, they drawn in a cartoon fashion or just as yes. children? Okay. Yeah. So it's, cool. it, they're all cartoons. Yeah. But the way that they're told, I really liked this particular one. It talks about her... It's from her point of view. So I am, you know, I'm Amelia Earhart and I was, you know, born, you know, we were really poor and this is where we lived. And I had an adventurous streak and was always told that, you know, I needed to be more ladylike. And it shows <laughs> her playing in the dirt covered in muck. And I'm like, yep, I have a kid like that. Cool. But it makes their, it, it's really relatable because you're like, okay, it's almost like you're having this conversation with her. That's cool. But there's one particular part where they're telling you a story about how, yeah, when I was a kid, I was hanging out with my cousins at my grandma's house and we made a ramp off of the chicken coop oh my gosh. and dragged the wagon up there. Nope. Oh no. Oh I yeah. I like where this is going. Oh yeah. And I'm watching this, looking at the pictures and reading the story going, oh, this is awesome. This explains why she had this, you know, this amazing life that she did. Yeah. And then the parent part of me is like, maybe I should turn the page. Because <laughs> I can totally see, totally see my three-year-old doing something like this. Because well, I no saw fear. it in a book, mommy. It's okay. I'm being yeah. Amelia, and which Amelia's... would make my heart so happy. Right. But also, but get also... off the wagon. Yep. <laughs> so get she's the there wagon. with her with her other cousins. They get the wagon up at the top, and she rides the wagon mm-hmm. down the ramp. Is airborne and crashes but isn't hurt so and of course grandma comes out and is what are you doing don't do that again (laughs) and it's that was the moment where she knew she loved being in the air and feeling the wind in her face that's cool and from then on that was what she focused on and she talks about her first instructor when she learned how to fly 
and I should have written the name down, but it was also a trailblazing woman. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. So who else to, to, to teach Amelia Earhart? And for people who don't know, it doesn't completely go into everything. Like it doesn't talk about her death in this book because it's a kid's book. Right. But it's, you know, all of her accomplishments. And she was the first woman to do a lot of these distance flights. And in at least one case, one of the first people, not just women, to do some of these long distance flights and completely fearless. And for it, just from a, a biographical standpoint, she does go missing when, on one of her global flights. There are theories of where she crashed, but I don't know if they've been like concretely proven. I don't think they um, have. Yeah. Nothing. So there's is, some well, good. There was some I recent evidence say that, that, that came out. There was in an article that people were like, oh, this is going to just prove where Amelia Earhart went down. And then there were yeah. no follow up articles. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's, it's kind of <laughs> one of those mysteries. But again, this is a kid's book. It doesn't really talk about that stuff because we're talking the elementary kid. school age. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's fascinating to watch or to watch my three-year-old actually look at these books because she doesn't always track when you do a lot of words because, you know, she's three. Right. But you can tell that she's absorbed in the story. You can tell she really relates to the kids. Well, and having have... it be first person. Yep. Like my she's three-year-old saying, oh, is, you yeah, know. my three-year-old is so narcissistic right now because he's three. It's yep. I, 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 me, 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 me. And so to hear a story of I did these things and when I was in the sky, yep, it just helps it, them internalize it so much more. It does. And it's super, super relatable. So if you're trying to get your kids to learn about some of these amazing figures in our past, keep an eye on this particular, like this was a really good book. It's a very good book. I'm super happy we have it. Um, my cousin actually bought it for my daughter and she's just, she, this is one of the books that she's like, oh, planes, mm. read about planes. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to read the plain book. It'll be great. So that's my first one. I mean, she's a little more, she's more well-known than some of the others, but I really wanted to talk about a kid's book because we have a lot of adult stuff and teen stuff, but this is right in that sweet spot where kids are getting more interested mm -hmm. and are learning, oh, ordinary people can change the world. You know, absolutely. It isn't always the big, huge names. And well, this they were really drove that ordinary home. people so before they were big names. Yep. They had to be ordinary first. Exactly. So, yep. Yep. So that's my first one. My second one is a compendium. It is Brazen Rebel Ladies Who Rocked the World. It's by Penelope Baggio. She's I French. I really hope I'm saying that right. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With all, yeah. Uh, this one came out in 2018. It covers 29 different women from the fourth century BCE all the way to modern times. Wow. With some amazing people who are actually still alive today. I mean, it's not a complete compendium, but it's a really nice sampling of amazing women. There are a couple that really stuck out to me. I mean, it opens up right out of the gate with a very famous bearded lady who ran a bar. I had forgotten that. She had, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, that's right out of the gate. You're like, oh, it's such cool. a cool book. Okay. It's so well done. Yeah. It, it's the, oh yeah. Her storytelling style and the way that she does all of the, it's comic strip style. It's a graphic novel. This is a really nice one. If you're looking for short little bits to get into. Um, you only have a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there to read. You can read two or three of them and it reads fast. So if you're, if a, a full biography is not something you feel like diving into, this is a really good one. A couple of them that really stood out to me. I'm not going to go over all 29. That's, that's too much. Um, <laughs> but one I found that was super, super relevant today was Christine Jorgensen. And she is not someone I had heard of. Her tagline in the book is the reluctant celebrity. She was born in 1926 and she died in 1989. So she was alive up until fairly recently. She was a major spokesperson for trans rights. And Christine Jorgensen, Christine is her, 
chosen name. She picked her name based on the doctor who was able to, she was one of the pioneer, pioneer patients to transition. Wow. Because Christine was originally born a man and it talks about bodies, morphia. It talks about it. It's, you can tell when Penelope drew these panels, you can see how uncomfortable it is. You can see the misery and to read something like that now, when we're backsliding on rights, was very poignant to me. And to read how optimistic that Christine was that, oh yeah, this is going to be normal soon. This won't be a big deal. It won't cause, you know, giant headlines everywhere because this will just be what people do. You know, we don't blast a lot of other surgeries. If you have to do something to be who you are, then this would be, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a big deal, you know? So, but until we can get to the point where it isn't a big deal, we need to remember people like Christine Jorgensen and how she really didn't want to be in the public eye. But I also appreciated that, okay, she didn't tell her family why she was going to Europe. She didn't tell them she was going undergoing experimental hormone therapies or what ended up happening. They had to get permission from, I think it was the prime minister to actually perform the physical surgery because it had never been done before. Oh, wow. And they got permission to do it. So it was all experimental. It all went well. It talks about her first time going to the salon with friends and how emotional that was because it was so, it's what she's wanted to do her whole life is to go hang out with her girlfriends. Yeah. But she used her GI bill at one point to go to university before she ended up going to Europe. And then when she called her parents and said, hi, I'm your daughter now, when she came back to the US, they just were cool with it. Like they were, well, all right, then you're no longer your dead name. You are now Christine. And they, that was just, they were cool with it, which is something that is a little rarer than it should be now too. Yeah. So to read about that and, you know, happening, it's, it's not clear on the dates and timelines in the comics because they're pretty compact. There may be four or five pages tops, but knowing her age and the time she was around, this is probably the fifties and sixties. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. If she died in 89 and Mm -hmm. this was a long period of her life right and it wasn't in the 80s yeah and they talk you know the first headlines where she was you know just bombshell she's a bombshell blonde so maybe not even i know she served Mm -hmm. but i think it was korea this is the problem when i read too many things back to back that Um, sounds right but yeah so we're looking at that time frame it's for her to be like if i have to put myself out there and be super uncomfortable to have all of these interviews and to be on all these talk shows to progress trans rights then i will do it you know that i'm going to help the next generation which is also something pretty positive we don't always see with a lot of famous people we're going to try and make it better for the next people yeah so that was one of the stories i wanted to talk about the other one was margaret hamilton and I actually read margaret hamilton's before Christine Jorgensen's. I'm trying to remember what order they were in the book. Margaret Hamilton was an actress. She played Morticia's mother in the Black and White Adams. I remember this one from the book. I remember now. Right. (laughs) It was very and she right. She was also the Wicked Witch in the Wizard of Oz. Oh wow. That iconic big nose, pointy chin. When you see her on the bicycle. That is her face. That is not makeup. Mm-mm. That is not an exaggeration. And that actually held her back a lot with her career because people were like, you're too ugly to be in any of these roles. And she's like, well, I'll just keep trying. So she ends up in this role because the original person they cast was like, you, you they told her we're gonna have to make you ugly. And she was like, peace out. And when Margaret Hamilton came in, they're like, okay, but when you're the witch, we're actually gonna have to make your nose a little bit bigger and your chin a little pointer. And she went, all right, let's do this. <laughs> her dedication for this film is both impressive and a little horrifying because there's a particular scene where she disappears in fire and smoke. They accidentally caught her on fire. Oh no. They caught her on fire. She had extensive mm. burns over her entire body. 
Oh my god. Uh, she was recuperating and recovering for three months before she returned to the set. Because <laughs> the show must go on. Right. They had to put fake hands over her hands to hide the, the scarring because it was oh too gosh. much. So in some of the scenes, if you see her where she's kind of all claw-like and her hands look a little rubbery, they probably are. Oh my gosh. Um, but from what the biography was saying, she was just a delightful person who just embraced this role of, well, I can roll with this. You want me to be the Wicked Witch? Let me cackle for you. So I had no idea about any of that. I know I'm not a huge, I follow all of the famous people's person, but this was just, it was a really amazing compendium. I kind of hope there's a follow-up at some point. But yeah, because it... There has to be more. There can't be just 29. Um, but I also know comics take some time. It, it's, yeah. So I'm fingers when crossed. When I read this one, one a couple years ago, I really liked the title that it's Rebel Ladies Who Rocked mm-hmm. the World. And when I think about the two that yes. you brought up, uh, Margaret Hamilton and Christine Jorgensen, they might not be super famous, but they rocked the world. They did. They changed it. They did something so... that was rebellious in revolutionary going through those surgeries. Or owning their quote-unquote ugliness and turning it into something great. Yeah. And it isn't just U.S. people. There's, you know, there are, it, it's global. But one thing that really popped out at me when I was reading about Josephine Baker, she's not the only actress. There's a few actresses in here who were known for their acting, but actually did a lot of other stuff in the background because no one really wanted to advertise that stuff. But the quote from the book that really stuck out to me was, while often reduced to a banana belt, Josephine Baker was an altruistic and courageous woman. And that's the thing, you know, isn't it that it's an overarching theme? I think we've seen it in all of the ones we've talked about where, you know, whether it's Josephine Baker, whether it's the women from Hidden Figures, whether it's... Hedy Lamar. Yeah, Hedy Lamar's she on my invented list too, Bluetooth. I was going to say, um, if Deja, she did. Yeah. But you have Hedy Lamar, whether it's Nettie, Nellie Bly, but... I, that's really what it boils down to is you know their incredible feats are minimized or overshadowed by their bodies and sexual freedom yeah so it's oh you're a sex figure right but it's not just my body right there's more here right it's not just my religion it's not just my sex it's i'm a person with autonomy that can do amazing things i have a pretty good brain you should check it out why don't we see that yeah (laughs) right I really feel like that's kind of what we stuck to the today. We saw it over and over and over again in different iterations yeah. too, is it's okay. So those, those are my, those are my two books. Thank you. I really enjoyed Brazen. I thought it was fantastic. It's very pretty too. I haven't checked it, it out, but pretty. it's on my list. There's now. There's it's pink and teal. Oh, here's the cover. That is pretty. Yeah, it's very, very pretty. It was, it was very well done. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. really pretty. And there's the back cover because it's, and it's yeah. really thick too. Oh. I think it's quite it's large, surprisingly. Well, it is a compendium. All right. Yep. And you'll see the cover on it our is. social yes. media. The, co- yep. the cover was just so pretty. Now it is time. It was. And the, for those who, oh, are, those who are curious what the cover is, it'll be on our social media. Check it out. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yes. Now it is time for our new triviality segment. I have a couple of trivia questions for you both, and we'll see how we do with them. Winner gets bragging rights and satisfaction of knowing random trivia. Are you guys ready? Let's do I'm it. Ready. Are you ready, Sydney? I'm so okay. ready. You'll get two points if you you'll get two points if you can call out the answer without needing options. Uh, but if I list the multiple choice, the winner will still get one point. This was hard. There were so many options. Yeah, I feel like it's like option paralysis. It was for this really, one. really, yeah. really hard for me to narrow it down to only three questions. So yeah, it was super hard for me to narrow it down because 
we women have done some amazing things and they get highlighted in the month of March. So there were lots of options for me. Okay, here we go. This is a quote. Okay. The quote is, hope is the thing with feathers, end quote, is one of the most well-known poems by which renowned writer? Maya Angelou. Nope. I don't know who it is. I should know it's not her. I should know it's not Maya Angelou. It is not her. That It's not. No. Options. Do you guys want the options? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Okay. Again, the quote, hope is the thing with feathers. Yeah. Is it Emily Dickinson, Sylvia Plath, or Elizabeth Bishop? Bishop. Sylvia Plath. Oh, no, it's Dickinson. I want you guys to say the right answer. Yeah, Emily Dickinson. It's Emily Dickinson. (laughs) Yes, it was Emily Dickinson. (laughs) That was what my brain wanted to say. And I'm like, no, it can't be that. No. I had heard it before. And I kept thinking thinking that I didn't know the author. And then I was like, oh, wait, no. Duh, that's stupid. Of course I do. Yeah, I don't even know who Elizabeth Bishop is. I don't either. That's why I guessed her. (laughs) Because in my head, (laughs) I was thinking that I didn't know who who the author was. Oh. All right. Who was the first woman to receive EGOT status, which is Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and a Tony? Okay, the first woman to receive all four of those things. Was it Audrey Hepburn, Helen Hayes, or Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Audrey Hepburn. On Helen the count Hayes. of three, I want you to say hard. These are really hard. I, I tried to go very broad here and get literary, get entertainment, and get political. So get ready for politics. Oh boy. You guys, oh wow, they spelled that wrong. That's okay. That should not say right. Mm, it should say rice, not right. One of the options is spelled wrong. Okay, which of the following women was the first female U.S. Secretary of Condoleezza State. Condoleezza Rice. No. Yeah. That is incorrect. And also they put Condoleezza oh, Wright. So, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Internet. That's incorrect. Wait, wait, wait. The Internet is wrong? Ways. What? The heck you say? Well, no. They just spelled her name wrong. <laughs> the Internet doesn't proofread. Okay. Here are your options. I'll take out the one that you guessed that was not right. Madeleine Albright or Hillary Rodham Clinton? Clinton. Yeah. First Clinton. female U.S. Secretary of State. On the count of three. <laughs> Madeleine Albright. <laughs> Madeleine Albright. All right. Wow. We, we were not on our game today, Cindy. <laughs> I had, I got nothing. I'm so ashamed. I know nothing I, of my I gender. Think we all, I think we all should just, yeah. Yeah. That was, a, that was awful. Call it a wash. That, that, was, that was a wash. No points. Nothing. That was awful. No points for anyone. We so here's what we've learned today. We don't know. <laughs> I think a lot we give about Annie three points. I don't. There we go. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Let's just give Annie the. Points. I think I would have gotten the last one. Thanks, guys. I think I would have gotten the last one, the U.S. Secretary of State, but I don't think I would have gotten the other ones. I see. I don't. Like I said when I was talking about the about my book, I don't follow any of that stuff. My brain mm-hmm. doesn't hold names and it really doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good job anyway. And it gets points. <laughs> so, which That's is really so funny bad. because you're the one giving us the, the trivia. That was great I mean, though. You should get a point if you can stump us. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even have to come up with my own answers that time. So currently Sydney is still at 25. Annie, you are now at 18 and I'm at yes, 14. Right. There we go. Coming back. Well, now we know how to get extra points. We there do. You go. We can get extra points happened. by stumping. So you can still get trivia points is going to get a lot harder, isn't it? <laughs> it is going to get a lot harder. <laughs> I can see Nia's brain. You can see the cogs she's like, turning. I'm, she's. She, I'm going to get them. She's gonna I'm going to get them all. Hey, if it's the only way I can get all points, right. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right.
right. So what are you reading, picking up next, Sydney? I'm continuing to read As You Wish and The Life of Crime. So I'm still, I'm very much on a nonfiction kick. I went to the bookstore the other day and picked Mm -hmm. up some additional nonfiction books. So be ready for lots of nonfiction in the future. Lots of long titles. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's how we do. Double titles. Annie, what about you? (laughs) <laughs> I'm finishing Proud, the one that I picked up for this for this episode. And then I'm also reading, I don't know how to pronounce this, so please correct me. Babel. Babel? Is it Babel or is Babel? it Babel? It's, no, it's Babel. Babel? Is it Babel? Okay. By I R- saw the F- cover of it yesterday at, the, at Barnes & Noble and I was like, ooh, that's wow. pretty. I know, it's so pretty. My book club decided to read this after reading the Bridgerton novel. We read all sorts of stuff. Nice. And I was excited because it's so pretty. The cover is gorgeous. It's this lovely black and white. It is. Gray. It's really pretty. Yeah. With a castle-y thing on the front. It's... Yeah. I'm on chapter two, so I'll be continuing that. Nia, what are you reading? I am picking up Voodoo Queen, The Spirited Lives of Marie Laveau by Martha Ward. We're both on a... Ooh, that is pretty. Look at that. Oh, that's That's fun. The cover is clear. Let's see if I can get the cover. Did you buy this or is it a library copy? This was given to me. So... Wow. Wow, wow. Let's see what the cover... Isn't yeah, that yeah, yeah. neat? Oh, That's so the cover neat. says Voodoo Queen. That's pretty. Yeah, so the actual picture, like the, the picture of Marie Laveau is on the hardback of the book versus on the dust jacket. So that is it's pretty. super pretty. But yeah, my, my cousin gave it to me. So Aww. I'm Love excited it. to read it. Nia, you and I are both okay. on nonfiction kicks. We are. We are. It's fun how that goes, you know? It's like a little roller coaster. Flows. Sometimes it's nonfiction. Sometimes it's all true crime. Sometimes it's all sci-fi. <laughs> you just kind of, you know, <laughs> jump in and see where you go. So yeah, I'm excited to start that one. It looks really fun. You'll have to tell us about it. I don't know a lot about voodoo, but it is but we'll an interesting learn. topic. We will learn. And we'll all learn yeah. together. Yeah. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this chapter of the book stack. As we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought, and we'll see you next time when we take a look at our favorite books that spoke to us. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter at Bookstack Trio and follow us at Bookstack Trio on Instagram and Facebook to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack. If you read a book from this stack, let us know what you thought on social media. You can also find us on our website at bookstacktrio.com. My mother told me to be a lady, and for her, that meant be your own person, be independent. Ruth Bader Ginsburg.